Amen. Lord, I pray we get out of our comfort zones when it comes to worshiping you. Lord, you're worthy to be worshipped, to be praised, to be magnified. You're a great and an awesome God. And Lord, I pray we'd shout it from the mountaintops unashamedly, Lord. You hung on a cross for us. May we stand boldly for you. Lord, I ask as we go to your word right now that you'd be our teacher, that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. It is great to have you here. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to James chapter 3, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. Wednesday night we'll be in Genesis 10 and 11, so if you haven't been coming, uh, feel free to join us on Wednesday night. We'd love to have you here. Uh, Do be praying about the building situation. Most of you know we have an attorney who's sending a letter to the city attorney this week. Uh, God's in control. We're not stressing or worried because our God is faithful. If he wants us to move there, it'll work out. If not, we don't want to go anyway, but be praying. Amen? All right. Well, James chapter 3. So far, what we've seen in this very, very applicable book, such a practical book, this book of James, this letter written by James, the half-brother of Jesus, who didn't come to know Christ till after the resurrection. He writes this letter to the first century church. At this point, it's been scattered and been scattered due to persecution. And he's writing this letter to be an encouragement to them, to exhort them to continue to be steadfast in their faith in the midst of trials and difficulty. James, again, in a very practical way, is just reminding them because it's so easy to get blown off course in, time, in times of trials and temptation and difficulty. And just like it was for them, so too it is for us today. And that's why when we read this letter, it's so applicable to our lives. The same thing that he exhorts them with, we need to be exhorted with as well. Thus far we have seen clearly two characteristics of what it means to be a, a mature Christian. Because, guys, the only way we stand in the midst of temptation is when we're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's a sign of someone who is mature in their faith. The only way we're going to overcome temptation, the only way we're going to stand fast in the midst of trials. And I know for a fact, because as your pastor, I've talked to many of you, I know that a lot of you are going through it right now. There are a lot of people in this room that are out of work. There are a lot of people in this room struggling with health issues. There are a lot of people in this room struggling with kids that are in rebellion. There are a lot of people in this room that are going through things that are beyond your control. But you know what? That's a great place to be because that's when we get to see God move. Amen? And it's in the midst of those trials and those temptations and those difficulties of life that we have to trust God. Too often when when we can solve our problem, we don't get desperate. But being desperate is a good place to be. In chapter 1, he encouraged them that part of being spiritually mature is being patient in times of trial. He said, count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So endure temptation and be patient in the midst of trials. These are opportunities for us to grow. These are characteristics of a mature believer, patience in times of trials. The second thing we saw in chapter 2, the last couple of weeks, is that not only is he patient or she patient in the midst of trials, not only do they endure temptation, but they practice the truth. They're more than hearers of the word, but doers. They don't just receive the word, but they believe the word and they act upon it. And remember, this is being written to those in a time of difficulty when there's a temptation to walk away from God. Or there's a temptation to dial it down a little bit. You know, if I wasn't so vocal about my faith, maybe people would leave me alone. Those same temptations hold true today. And the exhortation that James wrote 2,000 years ago is the same exhortation for us. Not only to be patient in times of trials, not only to endure temptation, but also in the midst of those difficulties of life, to be those who make a stand for God, to practice truth, to walk in obedience, to be a doer of the word and not hearers only, as we saw last week, that faith without works is dead. A mature Christian practices the truth. So in this morning's chapter, we're going to see a third characteristic. And the third characteristic is the power over our tongues. Anybody else in this room have a problem with your tongue besides me? 
you know, we'll see it in depth as we go through the text. But guys, we need to be those who, as he said in chapter 1, are swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath. The power of speech is one of the greatest powers God has given us. With a tongue, we can praise God. We can preach the word. We can lead the lost to Christ. What a privilege. But at the same time, with that same tongue, we can curse God. We can tell lies. We can gossip. The ability to speak words is an ability to influence others, to accomplish tremendous things for God. Our speech is also, though, a window into our hearts. The Bible says out of the overflowing of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. You want to know what's in somebody's heart? Listen to what comes out of their mouth. The words, as I've said before, they don't slip out, they pour out of your heart. And if you want to know someone's heart, again, just listen to them talk for a while and you'll hear it. It's an issue of the tongue, the small but powerful instrument that we're going to address this morning. Now, as I was contemplating this morning's text, and I promise we're about to get to it, but as I was contemplating and praying about it, I was reminded of a message I heard some time back. Uh, the Calvary Chapel Senior Pastors, we have a web server where a couple of thousand senior pastors are on it, and every month we get sent something from Calvary Costa Mesa, and it's kind of a an encouragement to the pastors. Maybe it's a book to read that we can download for free or a couple of messages. And a few months back, there was a message on there by a man by the name of Dr. Van Cleave. And Dr. Van Cleave taught a message, you know, and I was trying to multitask. I don't know if any of you do that besides me. But I got the message playing and I'm doing other things at the same time and I was captivated. This guy has since gone to be with the Lord. He was a professor at Life Bible Institute and he was teaching on sermon preparation how to prepare a message how to deliver a message might sound to you like something that was it was powerful but one of the things i loved is as he was sharing about this he was talking about a conference he would go and do these week-long uh you know conferences where he would minister at a church and he got up on his first night there and at the end of his first night he made this statement he said come tomorrow night and i will tell you who the biggest troublemaker is in this church and then he left. He got down and left. Word spread. The place was packed. Everybody wanted to know who the biggest troublemaker was. They were hoping maybe there'd be a slideshow. I don't know. You know, let's find out who this is. And then he got up and he taught James chapter 3 because he said the biggest troublemaker in this church and in every church is the tongue. And the same is true today that our tongues though God created them for worship, though they were created to witness to others, so often they become tools through which we blaspheme His name or we cause others to stumble. And praise God that He's a God of love and grace and mercy. Amen? So, if you're a note taker, here's the title of the message today is Power of the Tongue. The tongue can be used for good and it can be used for evil. And we'll talk about what the difference is. First of all, it has the power to direct, the power to direct others, in this case, to the Lord. It has the power to destroy. Not only can it direct a good thing, it has the power to destroy. Thirdly, it has the power to bring delight to the Lord. And then finally, we're going to see the, the outpouring of wisdom. What does wisdom really look like? How do we know when wisdom comes from God and when it comes from the world? It's seen in our speech, but just as importantly, it's seen in our actions. So let's begin looking at the power of the tongue. First of all, the power to direct. Let's begin in verse 1 of James chapter 3. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Brethren, my brothers. Now, Obviously, as he's saying this, there must have been a large group that wanted to become teachers. Now, I have an idea, Pastor Dave's opinion, that many of them wanted to stand up and speak because persecution was going on, and some of them probably thought they had a better idea than the guy that was serving as the pastor at the time. Does that sound familiar to a lot of churches today? The pastor's going this direction, this is what the Word says, but you know, I've got some good ideas. And there are those who are standing up and want to stand in that place and proclaim the truth. Now, God has those he's called to teach the word. And if that's the calling God's placed on your life, you need to be obedient to it. This was not meant to discourage those who were called, but it was meant to make everyone who was considering it understand just how much reverence they ought to have 
for standing up and proclaiming the word of God. This was a Again, a sober admonition, those who would become teachers in the church. The word there in the Greek speaks of one who would function in official teaching or preaching capacity. They must take responsibility, their responsibility seriously, because their accountability is greater. They shall receive a stricter judgment. Jesus warned this, To whom much is given, from him much will be required, and to whom much has been committed, to him they will ask the more. Those who teach the word will face stricter judgment. To teach the whole counsel of God. Amen? Can I encourage you, if that's your gift, be faithful to it. But if it's not, be praying for those who do have that gift that they will not water down the message to be popular with men. Amen? Here's the point. One day, I will stand before Almighty God for every word that came out of my mouth at Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz and before that Calvary Chapel San Jose and before that Calvary Chapel Antelope Valley. And you know what? Can I tell you that it brings me to a place of fear and trembling. Every time during the last worship song, I'm over here crying out to God, don't let me get in the way. I don't, not one of my words, and every one of us, if we're teaching in the men's Bible study, the women's Bible study, teaching the children, we will be accountable one day for standing up and proclaiming the word of God. It needs to be done with reverence, and there's few things more tragic than somebody getting up to teach the Bible unprepared. Heaven forbid, amen? The point is, the message should become a part of you before you ever try to give it to somebody else. The Lord must have worked on your heart and transformed your heart and spoken to you and brought conviction to your life because of the word of God before you have the ability by the power of the Holy Spirit to get up and share it with somebody else. So there's stricter judgment to teach God's truth, not man's opinion. And don't take this wrong because you guys know I absolutely love you. I pray for you every week. I love you guys. I count it a privilege to serve as your pastor. It's an absolute joy. I can't believe I get to do this. All that being said, I will not stand before you on judgment day. I will stand before God. And I must be obedient to teach what the word of God says. Not trying to be popular with you, but faithful with the Lord. Amen? You know, I'm really glad we don't have congregational rule. You might vote me out on the weeks that you're not happy with me. But you know what? God is going to be the one who places me here. And God's going to be the one, if he ever chooses to, to remove me and nobody else. Amen? And here's the point. The point is, wherever we go, we should be looking for those who are called of God to teach the word of God, who don't apologize for the word, who proclaim it with great boldness, but do it in love. Amen? And we need more men like that in this country. Amen? And we need more women like that in the women's Bible study. We need more people doing that with our children as well. But not just to proclaim the truth, but to live it. You know, another sad testimony is someone getting up and teaching the word and then living a life totally contrary to it. You know, you never stop being a Christian. You don't check it at the door when you walk out of the building. You go and minister to those precious six, seven, and eight-year-olds, and then, you know what, you may run into them during the week. They're watching how your life is. Think of the damage that can be done by a teacher who is unprepared or one who is not walking the walk. Teaching God's word is not a career, it's a calling. Amen? It's not, well, I think I'll be, a, you know, I think I'm just looking through my the catalog of the, uh, you know, policeman or pastor. I'm just, hey, again, God has a calling on every life in here. And your every calling is equal in the eyes of God. Do you understand that? Everybody's called. Not, not all of us are called to be eyes. Not all of us are called to be ears. If we were, the body wouldn't function right. We all have a calling on our lives. They're all equally important in God's eyes. But those who get up and proclaim the word of God, be it to the three through five-year-olds, or be it to the entire congregation on a Sunday morning, will be held to a stricter judgment on judgment day. And Lord, may we never take that for granted. Let me say this too. Just because somebody communicates well doesn't mean they're called. Amen? Too often we want to take someone who's got a natural gift and, and you know, sometimes they have both. But it doesn't always mean that that's the case. 
a natural gift to communicate well. Oh, you know, if, if Tony Robbins would get saved, what a great pastor he would be, because he's a great communicator. Not necessarily, amen? It's a calling, and so too is every gift that God gives out, a specific calling that only by the power of His Holy Spirit can we do with power. Often young people will ask me, Pastor Dave, how do I know if I'm called to teach the Bible? How do I know if I'm called to be in that ministry, to stand before people and proclaim the Word of God? Here's my answer every time. If you can do anything else, go do that. Because if you can do anything else, you're not called. Because if you're called, you can't do anything else. I promise you. Sometimes it would be so much easier from a physical perspective to just have one job and just to go to work and come home and hang out with the family and so much easier from a physical perspective. But as Paul said, woe unto me if I do not preach the gospel. One of my favorite examples in scripture is Jeremiah. I love his example because Jeremiah from the world's perspective was not very successful. He was mocked. He was threatened by everyone. He preached for years and guess what? Nobody got saved. Nobody. And he got to the point where he was weary and tired of being mocked and afraid of, afraid of physical retribution. He was discouraged by the lack of fruit. And he says this in Jeremiah 20, verse 9, one of my favorite verses, a verse that I read often as a reminder to myself. And he said, Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. I'm not going to share my faith anymore. Then he says this, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones and I was weary of holding back and I could not. Amen. He said, you know what? I was just going to stop. I just couldn't do it anymore. Maybe you're at work and you're catching some heat for standing up for the Lord and maybe you think, you know, maybe it'd just be easier to shut my mouth. You know what, guys? It'd be easier for the enemy for us to shut our mouths. But it's not what God has called you and I to be. Amen? Again, don't be a jerk. Don't be obnoxious. Be loving. Be gracious. Let them see Jesus in you. But when the opportunity comes, and I believe it comes every day, let's open our mouths and boldly proclaim, Jesus Christ, Him crucified and risen from the dead. Amen? Because that's what this world needs. And it's certainly what Santa Cruz needs today. As Paul said, woe unto me. If I do not preach the gospel, those who are called, we're not to take our talent and bury it in the ground. So here's this exhortation. Let not many of you be teachers. He's saying, you know, if you can be talked out of it, you're not called. If someone can discourage you to quit, you're not called. If you're called, you won't quit because the Holy Spirit won't let you. It's a blessing to teach and to lead others. But again, it could also become a curse if you lead them in the wrong direction. These are heavy words of accountability. Again, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Verse 2. For we all stumble in many things. Romans says, all have sinned that come short of the glory of God. If you came in here this morning and you thought you were a good person, you're wrong. Amen? Well, is that, no, I'm good. Compared to what? Again, here's the point. We don't compare ourselves to other people. If you compare yourselves to other people, you will always be able to find somebody worse than you. Amen? I'm no Charles Manson, right? I'm no Osama bin Laden, right? I'm a good person. You know, it was a TV show, and I, I don't know if I'm to give the name of it because I'm not a big fan of it, but I happened to catch a few moments of it, and on this show, they're asking this woman these questions, and the more she told the truth, the more money she got. And in five questions, she said, I lied, I have stolen from my employer. She admitted that when she got married, she was really in love with someone else. Then she admitted to having an affair in four questions. I'm like, and then the fifth question was, do you think you're a good person? And she said, yes. I'm a liar, I'm an adulterer, I'm a thief, and I'm a good person. Guys, the problem is that we are grading on the curve, comparing ourselves to other men, when we need to grade at the cross, comparing ourselves only to Jesus Christ, and when we do, we all fall short, and we're desperate need of a Savior, amen? Jesus said there's none good. None. Only Him, Amen. 
He alone is good. He alone is Lord. He alone is God. He alone is Savior. He alone can deliver us from our sin. We all stumble in many things. Now, this is not an excuse to sin. This is what happens sometimes. Well, yeah, I blew it, but nobody's perfect, so, right? Anybody else ever said that besides me? Nobody's perfect. I mean, hey, I blew it, but it's not a big deal. Guys, sin is still a big deal. Amen? Do we still sin? What's the answer? Yes. We're not sinless, but we should sin less. And guys, as born-again believers in Jesus Christ, we ought to be grieved by our sin. Again, we're not striving to be perfect so we'll be acceptable to God, but because we're new creations in Him, we ought to live different. And a man or a woman's speech really is a reflection of their heart because it says there, for we all stumble in many things. Then he says, if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Now the word perfect there doesn't mean perfect in the way you and I think it, like flawless. It means complete. If anyone is able to bridle their tongue, they are complete. They are spiritually mature. Guys, What you see coming out of somebody's mouth is a reflection of what's in their heart. And if someone is able to bridle their tongue, if someone is able to speak of only things that glorify and honor God, it's a reflection of the person they are the rest of the week. When you listen to what somebody says, you get a a clear glimpse of their heart. This describes those who are spiritually mature, those who are able to guard or watch over or bridle their tongues. And again, what you hear in their mouth is a reflection of their heart. Out of the overflowing of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. So your words reveal your heart, and especially true of teachers who have so much more of an opportunity to sin with their tongues. Remember, in context, he's writing to those who are You know, you're going to be a teacher. Don't let many of you be that because you know what? You're going to be held to a higher level of accountability. And then it says in Proverbs 10, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. So the more you talk, the more chance you have to sin. Amen? Can you think back to some conversations where you wish you had stopped after about 30 seconds? You know, I should have just shut up right there. That would have been good. Just stop. And now, we can go to the opposite extreme and say, well, you know what? If in a multitude of words, sin is not lacking, I'm just going to stop speaking at all together. I'm going to take a vow of silence. I'm not going to say a word. Well, then then you're sinning because you're not fulfilling the Great Commission. To go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen? The enemy wants us to shut up. And we can't hide our light under a bushel. Well, man, so I got to talk, but the more I talk, the more chance I have to sin. This is giving me a headache. What am I supposed to do? There's only one thing we can do. Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We need to walk empowered by the Holy Spirit. Amen? So he says there, if anyone does not stumble in word, if someone can bridle their tongue, if someone can have some control over their speech, and again, doesn't mean we never are out of line, but the point is, spiritual maturity is seen in the way that we speak. Verse 3 and 4 give some examples. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. He selects two very small items that exercise great power. You know, a strong horse can be controlled by a small bit in its mouth. The bit in its mouth and the hands of its master can lead that powerful animal to the right, to the left, and turn it around. A large ship can be turned by a very small rudder, a small thing controlling something far greater. But handled improperly, It can take the horse out of control. It can ram the ship into an iceberg. You don't solve the problem of an unruly horse by keeping it in the barn or the problem of a, a ship that's out of control by keeping it tied to the dock. Again, just as we don't take a vow of silence. The bit and the rudder have to overcome strong contrary forces. Remember that the horse left into himself is going to run wild. But the bit in its mouth and the hand of the master is under control and can be used. 
The rudder fights against the winds and the current that would drive the ship off course. For you and I, our tongue is fighting against our old sinful nature. For the bit and the rudder to work, they must be in the strong hand of the rider and the pilot. And for our tongues to be useful tools in directing our lives and, and, and others to Christ, we must be under control of our master. We must be in his hands, empowered by his Holy Spirit. The only way I will speak praise instead of cursing is if the Holy Spirit indwells me and is speaking through me. So power over the tongue, the power to direct. A small instrument in the hands of the master, directing others to Christ, and then reflecting our hearts. So we can see that the tongue can be used for great things. To preach the word, to proclaim the truth, to praise his name, to worship him. I love that video, by the way. Worship's not about us, amen? Too often we think worship is good if the song is right, or if it's the right tune, or the right beat, or the right volume level, or... I have an idea worship in heaven is going to be really loud. I just have an idea. I don't know for sure, but I have an idea. You know what? Because how can we not shout? Amen? And too often we're just so worried about, and again, however you worship, praise God. But the point is, it's not about us, it's about Him. He's the focal point. So the tongue has the power to direct others to Christ. The power to praise His name. But it also has, point two, the power to destroy When it's controlled by man, the tongue is destructive. When it's controlled by the Spirit, it's very fruitful. Look at verses 5 through 8. It says, Even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. As Christians, our words can praise God, direct others to Christ, or wreak havoc. You know, a huge forest fire can begin with just one small spark. I know that I read this, that the Great Chicago Fire of 1871 started in a barn, the O'Leary Barn, and spread to 100,000, left 100,000 people homeless, 17,500 buildings destroyed, 300 people dead, and over $400 million in damage back in the 1870s. So too can one word of gossip out of our mouths wreak havoc. It's that little spark that ignites, and before you know it, it's fanning a huge flame. You know what? When you light a fire, it's now out of your control. And when you open your mouth and you speak gossip, it's now beyond your control. You've let it go and now wait and watch and see how the enemy is going to use it to bring harm. Notice what it says. It's a litter member. It boasts great things. See how great a forest, a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, a little world of evil unto itself. Guys, with this thing right here, we can slander, we can cause scandals, we can blaspheme, we can speak profanity, we can lie, we can argue, argue, we can seduce, we can speak with great pride. All of that with this little instrument in our mouths. It is a world of iniquity among itself. And it says, so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. The tongue is so important in its position in relation to the rest of the body that no part of the body can be unaffected by it. A man is, or a woman, again, as I said before, of pure speech is understood to be pure in every respect of their lives. But who has confidence in the virtue of someone who blasphemes or someone who speaks with obscene words or or scandalous or slanderous lips. We always regard such a person as corrupt to the core. Most of you know about six months ago, I went back to work full time in anticipation of, of us moving into a building. And I'm amazed, and I guess I'd forgotten, just how foul people's mouths can be. I've got two co-workers I thought of right off the bat when I was reading this text. And this one guy, I mean, the F word is like the to him. And he just says it, I'm like, dude, they just curse and swear and curse and swear and curse. Now, here's the point. Do you think that guy's really moral and godly deep down? Or is that a reflection of his heart? Now, we need to pray for him. He's a sinner in need of a Savior, just like the rest of us. Amen? But the point is, out of the overflowing of that man's heart, his mouth is speaking. He doesn't even bother. Now, the other person is my boss, and every time she swears in front of me, she apologizes. She'll see me, oh, Pastor Dave, I didn't see you there. I'm sorry. And I'm like, look, God's always here. 
When I'm not in your office, God's always here. Oh, oh, yeah, you're right. She feels a little convicted. That's good. Pray for her. But here's the point. When we hear those words coming out of someone's mouth, immediately we believe that that person is corrupt to the bone. Why? Because it's flowing out of their heart. So guys, here we are, born-again Christians. you got the Christian fish back of your construction truck, right? You're talking about the Lord. you got bumper stickers on your car. You're talking about Jesus. you got a Christian hat on. And then you get out on the job site and you know, something happens and you blow a head gasket and you start swearing. Whoops. All of a sudden your testimony is blown like that. Amen? Guys, again, we're not perfect. But my prayer would be that we would wake up every morning and say, God, guard my speech. Lord, take hold of my tongue. Let me speak only that which edifies. It says in Ephesians, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it might impart grace to the hearers. When you go out and speak during the day, are you imparting grace? Are you imparting grace to your coworkers? Are you imparting grace to your children? Are we imparting grace? Or are we causing harm to the name of our Savior? When I was a youth pastor, I, and I said it at home too, I used to have a saying, prayer, praise. Prayer, praise. Somebody start to say something, prayer, praise. Prayer, it, pray for them. First of all, if you can't say something nice, pray for them. Prayer or praise. If you can't do either one, then be quiet. Prayer or praise. So somebody start to say something in the youth group, or one of my kids start to say something, ah, prayer or praise. You know what? That's a good exaltation for all of us that we would, it would be prayer or praise coming out of our mouth. Amen? We would either speak that which will honor God or will take the time to pray. The whole body can be, the, can be destructive to an individual in the body of Christ as we speak with our tongue, our speech can encourage and bless others, or it can be de- a divisive tool of destruction. And when it comes to gossip, we can be wood and coal to spread the fire, or water to put it out. Guys, if you listen to gossip, you're participating. Do you understand that? Someone starts to say something, you know that it's not, got nothing to do with you, shut them down. In love. You know what? You don't need to talk to me, go talk to that person right now. You know what, we need to love each other enough to do that, amen? You know, some of you are going to go out after lunch and have roast pastor at lunch today, right? Someone starts barbecuing the pastors, just, hey, go talk to him, amen? The point is, the point is, let us be praise coming out of our mouths. Let God be honored in what we speak and in what we say. Let him be glorified in our lives. And notice what it says. So you're sitting here going, now look what it says. It defiles the whole body, and it sets on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire by what? What's the word? Hell. The word is Gehenna, the place of of eternal flames. It's saying that when our tongue speaks and brings division, when our tongue speaks, it's set on fire by hell. The enemy wants us to use our speech to blaspheme, to curse, or at the very least to destroy our testimony with our speech. And when we do, we need to understand the source of it. It's not the Holy Spirit. Verse 7 and 8. Look at this. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. Think about that. We can tame lions and tigers, but not the tongue. Although I don't fully trust a tame tiger. I don't know about you. That's great. Just leave him right over there on that chain. I'm glad he's tame next to you. I don't want him that close to me. I don't need to find out. But here's the point. Isn't it amazing that we can tame wild animals, but we can't tame the tongue? The point he's making here is no man can tame his tongue. Only God, by his power and his Holy Spirit dwelling within us, can tame the tongues of men. That tongue that was set on fire by hell, or where else do you see tongues of fire in the Bible? Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, remember? Tongues of fire came upon them, and they began to speak the wonderful works of God. They were proclaiming the gospel with great boldness. So, our tongue has been set on fire by the Holy Spirit, or by hell. Wow, Pastor Dave, that's pretty black. Yeah, well, the Bible is. Amen? 
So next time we speak, are we speaking empowered by the Holy Spirit? Or is it from Gehenna that we speak words that don't edify, but words that tear down? Again, it's easier to tame a wild animal than the human tongue can deliver more poison than a deadly snake. The Bible says in Psalm 140, they have sharpened their tongues like serpents. Poison is under their lips. David spoke this, speaking of those who are chasing him. He was saying, they're trying to kill me. There's poison under their lips. We wouldn't turn hungry lions or angry snakes loose in our Sunday morning service. But you know what? An unruly tongue can accomplish just as much damage. Amen? Guys, prayer praise. May we honor and glorify God with our speech. The power of the tongue, it has the power to direct, it has the power to destroy, and it has the power to delight, to bless God or to curse men. Look at verse 9. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men, who, we have, who have, made, have been made in the similitude of God. With our mouth we can bless God and we can curse those made in His image. Guys, we can be singing praise songs one moment and then a guy cuts us off in traffic. And we go from a tongue set on fire by God to a tongue set on fire by hell. Anybody else ever experienced that? We're worshiping the Lord, someone cuts us off, and now we're screaming at somebody. Love you, Lord, and I lift my... What are you doing? <laughs> Isn't it amazing how we can go from the power of the Holy Spirit to walking in the flesh like that guys we need to be prayed up amen we need the power of the holy spirit the bible says in proverbs that the mouth of a righteous man is a well of life it also says the words of a man's mouth are deep waters the wellspring of wisdom as a flowing brook water is life-giving and out of control it brings destruction you know, it's, it's talking about the word being like water because water feeds us. Water nourishes us. We need water to survive. But you get too much water, you have a flood. You have destruction. Guys, our speech needs to be under control of the Lord. Now he gives us three illustrations. Let's take a look. Verse 10, out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring be forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, and a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. These illustrations talk about the contradiction when we see blessing and cursing coming from the same source. This ought not to be so. It can't be. A fountain that is gushing forth water doesn't gush forth fresh water and salt water at the same time. It's one or the other. It's either bitter or it's sweet. And the same is true for us. A mark of spiritual maturity is a constancy in our speech. Not fresh one day and bitter the next. Not cursing and blessing back and forth. Not one vocabulary and tone of speech at church and a different one at home or at work. Amen? I had a guy tell me one time, you know what, Dave, you just need to leave your Christianity at the door. Guys, aren't you glad that we're going to go to heaven whether we're in church or not when he comes back? Aren't you glad he never leaves you nor forsakes you? Amen. And with that reality, we don't check our Christianity at the door. We are Christians we ever, wherever we go. I am not a pastor, yellow page salesman, father, husband, who happens to be a Christian. I'm a Christian who happens to be all those other things. Amen? We are Christians. We are followers of Jesus Christ, first and foremost. That's the thing that will outlast this life. Amen? And so the exhortation here is, there should be some consistency. Be the same person wherever you go. That water that pours out of us should be sweet. It says in John, he that believes on me, as the scripture said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Again, out of the overflowing of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. What's coming from you? Is it bitter? Is it angry? Or is it sweet? Guys, when we're angry, and, and those, you, you know when we get that way. We know when we're speaking and it's not from the Lord. Lord, help us. When those words come out, bring us to a place of brokenness and repentance before you. 
sweet living water from a loving, spiritually mature, transformed heart, not bitter water that comes from a bitter and corrupt heart. Last point, the power of the tongue, the power to direct, the power to destroy, the power to delight, to bring forth fresh water of blessing, but also to bring forth potentially bitter water of cursing. Now notice, he speaks about wisdom. Beginning, Remember back in chapter 1, he said, if anybody lacks wisdom, come and ask. Guys, we need wisdom every day, don't we? The number one thing people ask for when they're asking for prayer is wisdom. Most often, that's part of the prayer request. I don't know what to do. I need to know what to do. I need direction. You know what we're asking for? Wisdom. And we need to know the difference between wisdom that comes from God and wisdom that comes from men. Let's take a look at heavenly versus demonic wisdom. How do we know the difference between godly and worldly wisdom? By Take a look. Verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in meekness, in the meekness of wisdom. Those who are truly wise and have heavenly wisdom will be meek. What does meek mean? It means strength under control of the master. Meek doesn't mean weak. Big Clydesdale horses are meek. They're not weak. They're huge. They can run over the top of us, but they're meek because they're in the control of of their master. That word literally means strength under control. Real wisdom and belief is reflected in our behavior, and a wise person will be humble and obedient. But what about if it's not godly wisdom, but it's worldly wisdom? Here's what it will look like. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but it's earthly, sensual, and demonic. Demonic wisdom is this. Demonic wisdom is bitter. Demonic wisdom is usually built on envy. You look around at somebody around you, and they've got something that you, you know, you were happy yesterday till the guy next door to you put a brand new car in his driveway. And all of a sudden, your car looks kind of old and ratty. And now all of a sudden, you think, well, I need one of those. I mean, he's got one. And so now my wisdom is built on what? Now, did the Holy Spirit, did the Lord move upon your heart? Or were you moved by worldly circumstances? Guys, the wisdom that is driven by the world is of the world. The wisdom that comes from God and is an act of obedience to God and is done in meekness and humility is of God. But when the wisdom is built on me striving in my flesh, me being envious, or me being prideful or arrogant, and can I tell you again, being transparent with you, going back to work, again, is an eye-opener, because our flesh so easily, when everybody around you is so competitive when you're in sales, they got all the numbers up, and every, you know, and, and God had always blessed me before to be a top sales rep, so all the reps are coming, I'm going to smoke you, and I, you know, now I'm selling more than you, and, I, and there's a, your flesh wants to just, Right? Oh, yeah? You know, you know, my first day back, this guy pulled me aside to tell me how to sell advertising. Now, I'd done this for 18 years, and God had blessed me. I'd been very successful at it, and he was talking to me like I was an idiot. And I sat there for 30 minutes, chewing on my lip, because your flesh wants to go, dude, this is not my first rodeo, man. I've done this before. You know, who do you think you're talking to? You know what, that, but is that the spirit or is that the flesh? That's the flesh, because it's built on envy and pride, right? Humility is, hey, thanks for the input. Appreciate the help. Why? Because we want a chance to witness to that person later, amen? They need to see humility in us and brokenness in us, not arrogance. Self-seeking, there is sometimes translated strife. It it refers to selfish ambition. So often we're going to hear counsel from people that's all built on selfish ambition and striving for the things of this world and building up the riches of this world. That's not godly wisdom. Godly wisdom comes from a heart of humility and and total desperation for the Lord. Self-centered wisdom that is consumed with personal ambition is not of God. Jesus said this, of men born among women, there's been none greater than John the Baptist. So Jesus said the greatest man who ever lived outside of himself was John the Baptist. So guess what that means? John the Baptist was the greatest man who ever lived outside of Jesus. And then what did John the Baptist say? I must decrease that he might increase. 
So if the greatest man who ever lived outside of Jesus Christ himself said less of me and more of him, how much more should you and I be saying that? Less of us, more of him. Amen? No matter how good we think we are, we need to be broken before him. Worldly wisdom promotes self. Heavenly wisdom glorifies God. Verse 16. From where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. The disorder that results from chaos and instability of human wisdom is confusion. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. If you're confused about what you're supposed to do, it's not God. Amen? If you're confused, wait. But Pastor David, I got wait. Wait upon the Lord. He's faithful. He's always right on time. When God is guiding, there is peace. But if you're confused, you haven't heard from God. It says there every evil thing. Literally, every worthless work. These things are of no value. They're good for nothing. But notice the difference between worldly wisdom in verses 14 through 16 and godly wisdom in these last two verses. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. It's peaceable. The, the mature... The, Wisdom we get from God is pure. It refers to spiritual integrity. When God tells us to do something, it will honor Him. Amen? He won't tell us to do something that's all about us, that will promote us. It will promote Him. It's peaceable. It promotes peace with others. It's gentle. It's sweet to other people around us. Such a person will submit to all kinds of mistreatment and difficulty with an attitude of kindness and patience, and humility without any thought of hatred or revenge. Why? Because we trust that God is in control. That's a hard life to live, isn't it? Don't we want to defend ourselves? Don't we say, I don't deserve? Isn't that something that comes out of our mouths? Do we really want what we deserve? What's the answer? Let me think, no. I don't want what I deserve. Mercy, 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 please, amen? Lord, help. Good thing. But often we can get in our flesh, we get surrounded by the world. You don't deserve that. They mistreated you at work and they should have given you more hours and they should have done this and they should have paid you more. That guy got the promotion and you didn't and that's not right and you need to go fight for yourself. Right? You're right! And we go marching in there in the power of the Holy Spirit, right? We go marching in there filled up with our flesh. That's worldly wisdom. That does not come from God. Well, what should I be, a doormat then? No. Submit to the Lord, and He will defend you. Let God fight your battles for you. He'll do a way better job than you. Amen? You know what, Lord? Here's what happened. You knew it. You saw it before the foundation of the world. This didn't surprise you. Lord, I put it in your hands. You be glorified. You don't want me to have the raise? Great. You don't want me to have that promotion? Great. I trust you. You're God. You're faithful. It's okay. Guys, that's the heart of someone submitted to the Lord, someone who is teachable, compliant, and willing to yield, as it says in that verse. It says, full of mercy, showing concern for those who suffer pain and hardship, an ability to forgive quickly. Guys, the world doesn't forgive. The world holds grudges. As Christians, we need to forgive quickly. Amen? Quickly. Forgive others as Christ forgave you. He forgave me so much. And we need to have that same heart. Without partiality, a consistent, unwavering person who is undivided in his commitment and convictions and does not make unfair distinctions. Earlier he said, you know, don't put the rich people here and the poor people here. Guys, there is no slave nor free, barbarian nor Scythian, Jew nor Greek in the eyes of Almighty God. Amen? We're all one in Christ, and we should not show partiality. Last verse. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So the fruit of righteousness is good works that result from salvation. And this righteousness flurries in a climate of spiritual peace. This peace produces fruit. The New Living Translation of that verse, I like it. It says this, And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of goodness. Guys, when you think about the wisdom that you have and the way you respond to the difficulties of life, which set of verses best describes you is it verse 14 through 16 bitter envy self-seeking you know filled with earth, earthly and sensual demonic wisdom or is it peaceable 
and pure and gentle and willing to yield and full of mercy. Guys, the tests are coming probably tomorrow at work. Amen? Maybe when you're driving home from here with your spouse, you're going to have an opportunity to respond one way or the other. May we respond with godly wisdom and humility. May we respond again with the tongues of fire of the Holy Spirit upon us, not the, the fire that, that originated in hell with anger and envy and being filled with self. The tongue is a small device, a small tool that can reap great harm. Can I encourage you, if you're struggling with gossip, ask God to help you to stop. Can I encourage you, if you are flirting with people at work, stop. I say this, if I can't say something in front of my wife, I shouldn't say it at all. If I can't say it with one of my kids sitting on my lap, I shouldn't say it at all. Amen? Because guys, the Holy Spirit is always with you. So the power of the tongue. It has the power to direct others to Christ, to praise His name, to bring glory and honor unto Him. But it also has the power to destroy, to bring harm and cursing, to blaspheme His name. It has the power to bring delight to the Lord, to bless Him. But it also we see in the end that the way we speak is a response to whether we're walking in heavenly or worldly wisdom heavenly or demonic wisdom. Guys, are we submitted to the power of the Holy Spirit? Is it being reflected in our speech? Or are we, like the rest of the world, striving for the things of this world, the stuff that's passing away? Lord, help us to be different, amen? Help us to be salt and light. Lord, take our tongues and use them for your glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, and we worship your most holy name. And Lord, I do pray that this instrument of worship would not be used one moment to worship you and the next moment to blaspheme your name. Help us, Lord, empower us with your Holy Spirit that we might walk in obedience to your word. That, Lord, when we open our mouths, your word would come out. When we open our mouths, we would speak with fresh water, not bitter. Lord, that we would be a blessing to those around us. And Lord, that people would be able to see Jesus in us by our speech. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified in everyone who's here. Lord, I pray for those going through a tough time right now. Again, those with financial difficulties, those with health issues, those with children in rebellion, struggles in their marriage. Father, I ask in Jesus' name right now that you'd pour out your spirit upon them. You would strengthen them during this difficult time. And Lord, I pray you would give them the patience to wait upon you to walk in godly wisdom, not worldly wisdom. We ask these things, Lord, in your holy and your precious name we pray. You're a great and awesome God. We thank you that you never leave us alone. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.